Hey, uh, welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. This is Andy Littleton, and I am here with my buddy Sean in Portland, Oregon, sitting on the side of the road next to what? What's this coffee shop called? Upper Left. Upper Left Coffee Roasters. Yeah, and then some cars going by and stuff like that, but <laughs> you all are used to hearing noise. Uh, there's no country music at EXO unless uh, you know Eric dubs some of that in back in Tucson. But we're here in Portland, we were just having coffee inside, and we are both interested in church planting. And Sean does a lot of work with social entrepreneurship, teaches. Where do you teach? Uh, Warner Pacific University. At Warner Pacific University. So you got to tell me about this. You're getting some people together today. What are you guys going to talk about today? Yeah, so today's topic is, um, <laughs> the recycling guy going by, um, lo- um, local church ministry and startups. Okay. So initially it was going to be church planning and startups, but I wanted to be more, not just church planning guys, but just like local church leaders, pastors, etc. So not just planters. So this afternoon we're getting together. Um, and just have a conversation to see who's interested and what does it mean to think about startups in the context of church, church planning, how does it benefit churches to be involved in starting businesses, um, whether it's for their own financial stability or bettering their neighborhood. Yeah. So we were we were just talking about, you know, we, we've had this discussion a lot because I've got a little company called Midtown Artisans that mm-hmm. I started back kind of simultaneously to starting the church. You've um, you've written you've written books. You've got a you've started a coffee roastery. You had a publishing company mm-hmm. for a bit. So this yeah. is something you've experienced. There's a, there's our Portland compost one more time. In Tucson we have a train. Here we have compost. It's pretty safe. Um, but so so you've kind of done this. You and you planted mm-hmm. a church in Tucson mm-hmm. in the past. Yep. And um, so you've got you've got some experience, but we were just talking about like a sustainable a sustainable pastor. That's kind of where we left off inside. Yeah. Was like I'm, you know, I had this journey basically where whether the church grew or not, I was able to be make my home mm-hmm. in Tucson. Yeah, um, and how how important is that? Just from what you've experienced over the years, like in your own life, and what you've mm. seen in other other pastors. Yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line is if the planter pastor is not sustainable, then the church will never be sustainable. And again, the way funding mechanisms work for most planters is, you know, they get a lot on the front end. And a lot could mean just, you know, a few thousand dollars a month to some guys roll into town with almost a million dollars, you know, Right. Kind of donated to them, and so they have some good funding and ongoing, which is wild to me. That whole, I know. That, wow, <laughs> what's that like? I, I, those guys, I joke with them. I call them the one percenters. The one percent of church planting. <laughs> um, but even with all of that, that is not even 
That doesn't mean it's success. Right. You know, I mean, that, a meaning that doesn't guarantee success, especially in a context like, you know, like Portland, you know, that's more yeah. expensive, higher cost of living. So you kind of end up burning through the money a lot faster. And if at the end you got even 50 to 70 people, that's still not going to sustain the, the lead guy long term. And so for me, I always dial back to like, okay, so how do we ensure the planter or pastor is sustainable? Because like you said, and with the, the example of your stories, like you were sustainable yourself from day one. Right. So regardless of how fast or slow the church grew, like you were good. You're in it for the long term. Whereas a lot of guys, especially if they're moving in from the outside, once funding runs out, then they're really in that dilemma. Like, are they really committed to then just kind of get a job and hustle it and just keep it going or does that mean they go back home or do they step out of ministry um, to get, get a job take or, some other job and just yeah. kind of move on from that yeah so which I've seen all that yeah and so again I guess one of the things that I'm interested on the intrepid front what I'm leading is like how do we really push this conversation forward where like let's get Let's get guys sustainable themselves from the beginning. Yeah. Because um, then again, it, like if they're oh, if they're sustainable, then their church will be sustainable, and that's why we're also looking to, you know, help them curate, you know, business startups. You know, so that's why we're jumping into, you know, training, facilitating conversations around social entrepreneurship as well as community and economic development. So Intrepid, you just mentioned, that's kind of an initiative that you started to foster this type of thing. Exactly, essentially. Yeah. Yep. And you're writing about, so you're, you're writing, you're gathering people, you're mm-hmm. teaching at the, mm-hmm. at the college. So you got a book coming out that I've, that I've read. That, and and um, endorsed. And endorsed <laughs> wholeheartedly. And, uh, and, it's, and you're kind of casting this vision out there, and mm-hmm. you're, you're referring to an old uh, kind of story you know coming from the tucson area father kino and mm-hmm. how he brought some of his life experience uh-huh. to bear um a, alongside ministry and how those yeah. two really worked well together but what's the, you know in the in the book like yeah what what did you in that writing process mm-hmm. what did you what did you conclude after kind of working through that process or something say there there are multiple themes um so again starting off looking at the story of father kino and like you mentioned if you're around southern arizona or even sonora mexico for any amount of time you know that name well um whether you know much about him but you, you know but it's crazy it's like wow 300 years later like we still know this this jesuit missionary slash priest like then it's like okay so why do we know about him and obviously established a number of missions but i think even more so was what endears us to him is that he you know brought you know farming techniques um and really we would i put in the language that he was all about economic development yeah. like he started like you know with a couple head of cattle and then by the time he died he had fifty thousand head of cattle 
all for you know the Pimas to help them you know grow a stronger economic base and so yeah to me looking at that template like we know him because of all the good that he brought so yeah. if all he did was you know and again that's that goes back to even church planning like what's the end goal for a lot of church planners is I want to grow a large church right. or multiply which is great and I'm not saying we should do things so people will remember us 300 yeah. years from now, but... You're just asking, why did we remember why, this yeah, guy? Right? Yeah, yeah, because of all the good that he brought. And so I think there has to be... It's not to minimize one and elevate the other. So along with planting, we can also be about bringing good to our communities. And then then that other conversation along with that is, why don't we think along those lines? It's imperative for planters to think, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is just having a stronger financial base themselves to carry them. So there's those kind of themes really poked and prod throughout the book, as well as kind of looking at where are we planting churches. And again, you know, we're here in the heart of Portland, which is the hotbed for planting. You were saying Uh, kind of like, yeah, like all the cool planters want to come to Portland. Yeah. Or, you know, similar kinds of places. If it's, if it's in Chicago, it's in the loop. Um, But no one as a whole, you know, willingly goes to like crappy neighborhoods, crappy right. cities, low income communities to plant. And so so that's another theme in Intrepid is like how do we champion those kinds of communities, lower income, um, even minority communities. Yeah. Um, not with some colonial framework like we're gonna come and, and make it better or great or anything like that, but just how do we be part of the storyline of these communities and live out the gospel. Yeah, I remember distinctly a discussion that I had. This is before church planning was ever on my radar and really shaped me, but it was a church where I went was um, planting. And the reason they were planting, truth be told, if we really get down to the bottom of it, the reason they were planting is because people had different visions within the church and just couldn't you know, mm. synchronize. So one group decided to plant, and they, they all felt better about a plant than a split. Mm. But they brought in some guy, and uh, he was talking about, you know, all the, the growing churches and, like, the neighborhoods where people had enough money to sustain a church. And mm-hmm. they were pointing out, like, all the areas in Tucson where, you know, there was opportunity. And that mm-hmm. opportunity had to do with usually, like, the amount of money that people had, like, side by side with the lack of saturation of churches in the area and if you Mm. had the right you know combo then church would work Mm. and so they identified a certain area of like northwest suburban tucson Mm. where that was and and all sorts of churches have popped up over there Mm. and uh and i remember just as a kid because i'd grown up in in a trailer park in Mm. central tucson and i was just like man this sucks because Mm. like where i grew up We'll never get a church yeah. if this is how we think. Yeah, you know, and so we we had the discussion with our elders where we said, "Where do people not want to have a church?" And mm. let's try. So we just moved a minute south, but we we seriously moved into an area where it's extremely mixed income. We're next to two Section Eight apartment homes. It's half industrial, um, and and we were like. One of our favorite things. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> One of our... We're getting photographed, which is cool. We are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So one of our yeah one of our favorite things is like we couldn't think of anyone mm. targeting this area, yeah. and when we looked on a map, there weren't churches, yeah, and there was no economic reason to like yeah to start one, yeah. So we got we we were like okay like cool mm. this isn't <laughs> um, in and of itself like a recipe yeah. for church success, which yeah. means we can come here and just just do it for the sake of like the community. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and again, that ties to why it's important to have these other parallel conversations about startups, community development, because if a plant is going into a low income community, like the thought of like, okay, we need a lot of you to now pay us to reach you. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of absurd. I mean, and I look at it like, when it comes to international missions, we don't do that. We'll we'll send missionaries to you know like the you know the slums of Lima, Peru, or Mexico City, with never the thought of like, okay, we're going to start churches so you guys can pay <laughs> us to do it. We'd be like, whoa, that's that's, that's pretty ridiculous. That's sketchy too. Yeah. So why don't we think that <laughs> way here to go? We're going to you know focus specifically on lower income communities to plant churches. Um, but in order to do so, we need to think about what's our economic base long term. So again, it goes back to so if the planner is sustainable long term, you know, even if there's 200 people to gather, but they're low income, whatever, like it, it doesn't matter. Like if they can't, you know what I mean? It's not about getting X amount of people then to pay bills, right? And so the uh, so the answer to that usually with international missions and even here has been. Well, the denomination yeah. or the church, you know, gives a bunch of money and sends, yeah. sends this person. But um, you were, I think that can lead. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think that can lead to the colonialism mm. sort of thing because you mm. come in with all these funds and resources into a potentially like community that doesn't have that mm. kind of income stream. Yeah. So now you're, you are this new, you're the you're this income stream. You've got something nobody else has, which kind of yeah. puts you in a different playing field yeah and then the flip side of that that you've been talking about throughout the morning is like then that funding runs out and you've got to decide okay Mm. are you really committed to this yeah but then in with what's just (coughs) i mean what what's happened in america which has been inevitable for some time that churches are like that we're Mm post-christian i mean essentially like Mm -hmm. this it's not the dominant cultural theme Mm -hmm. and that's just gonna that's gonna keep happening so just to be honest like those funding streams in the next i'm assuming the next 50 years are going to dry up Mm. and so do we stop Mm. planting churches Mm. um and so if you're going to keep planting churches and go to the places where people need serve, need to be served and where the gospel isn't available, yeah. you're not going to be able to do it on the funding stream, so you're going to have to do it another way. So yeah. it seems like we need to start training people to do that now yeah. rather than when it, there are no other options. <clears throat> yeah. In, and as I've been you know, doing a lot of thinking about this and just wrestling, I also had decided, like, I'm just going to – like, what is – the Bible say, you know, about this or like what examples do we have? (laughs) So, you know, just as rereading, you know, the new Testament, obviously particularly acts and the epistles and just, just highlighting in a different color. Every time Paul will talk about money and and giving. Um, And I was just, I mean, I, I guess I knew it, but I was shocked as to how often he would say stuff like, Hey, 
I have it in my right to ask you guys to support me. But just so you know, there's no bad motives. Like, I'm working. I'm not going to be a burden to you. Or there'd be a number of times where he would collect tithes and offerings. Yeah. But it would be like, okay, I'm going to swing by, collect money, <coughs> because the church over there... I'm going to take it to somebody They're else. experiencing yeah. extreme poverty, so yeah. I'm going to collect the money to send it to give to them. And so, like, a lot of the giving wasn't, like, supporting the paid right. dude. It was supporting other churches experiencing... <laughs> You know, maybe like acute poverty, and yeah. I'm like, that really is reframing how I think about it. Um, and, and don't just, you think like the narrative that that presents to our neighbors mm. is just would just be so much different than oh yeah the narrative of like we need money to run this place yeah I mean yeah I you know I just I I, I every once in a while <laughs> speaking of like the social entrepreneurship so. I've got a client at the business who, um, restaurateur, mm. and we sat down and he, he was like, so is this all you do? You know? And I said, oh no, I'm, I'm also a pastor. Cause mm. I'm talking to him in the business context. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, he said, you're still doing that. Cause he'd heard about mm. it once. I said, yeah. He goes, so how does that work? Mm. You know? And, uh, he was just, he was just super intrigued by kind of like how, yeah, what what do you do? And so mm. we were talking about it, and um, and he's and then he finally got to he goes. So where do you get? How does that make money? Mm. And I said, well, it honestly, I said it isn't. It isn't for us about making money. Mm. It's you know it's using money. We there are resources we use, and we want to do a good job with that. Mm. But um, but it's not a money making yeah you know, venture. And he's like, okay. He's like, so. But there is money involved. I was like, yeah. He said, how? And I said, well, you know, the people they, they see that we're we're serving and we're also like caring for the mm. spiritual needs and and they give it. And mm. he's like, so how do you get them to give it? And I said, well, they just do. Like we we don't ask. We never ask for money. Mm. But we have a little box in the back and. Um, and they, they just know we need money to mm. do what we do, so they they give it. And he was just like, this is really fascinating. <laughs> but uh, conversations like that make me realize that you know, people are, just in general, in the culture, wondering about yeah. that. Because then he brought up, he's a, he says, have you heard of Joel Osteen? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> Who? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and I said, yeah, I've heard of that. <laughs> And he's, uh, he said, isn't that just a, a little bothersome? <laughs> I said, yeah, actually. And he mm. said, okay, so you're not doing any of that. <laughs> no. And then he kind of, okay, well, you know, back to our conversation. Mm. But it, it just, it made me come back to, like, part of our mm. you know, gospel witness, if you will, yeah. is yeah, how... What do churches do with their money? Is this a money-making venture where people are building yeah. careers? And that, yeah. I think, leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's not to negate the fact that it's right for the worker to get his pay. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm not anti any of that. I'm no. not anti-paid staff or any of that. I just think if we really want to see a lot of churches planted, we just need to rethink it. And again, it's almost like I always wonder, so why is it? That when we get in a pressurized tube, yeah, and we fly thirty thousand <laughs> feet over a body of salt water, and as soon as we exit said pressurized tube, 
all the rules change. Right. Like, you know, I was a friend, good friend. He, you know, was a missionary in South Asia for a few years. And his job was to catalyze <laughs> new churches. And again, all the planters that they worked with, like, none of them got paid to do it. Yeah. You know, right. they're just like, they just, they're teachers, they're whatever. Yeah. But that's what they do. Church planting as a lifestyle. But yeah. then all of a sudden we come back here. Then when we talk about church planting, it's like, no one wants to do that. They want yeah. to get paid to do that. So why is it? In a lot of settings internationally, that's a norm. But here, it's like we've so married it with like it's my, it's my career trajectory, it's my occupation, it's how I earn a living. Again, nothing wrong if you know your paid staff or churches even kick in part of it. But I'm just saying if we go in with that's the focus, I right. think we make a lot of compromises. Like at the end of the day, it's like I need to grow this church so they can pay me and take care of my family. Right. I think we do like. Well, I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah, it, it messes with your motivations big yeah. time. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, a cool experience that I got to have in our process was that the elders of my church got to argue for me to get paid. Mm. To where I was saying, like, it's okay if we don't. If we have other things we need to do, and they were like, no, like you're putting in a lot of time. Like mm. you really, like you need your family needs to be compensated for mm-hmm. some of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that was, that was exciting mm-hmm. to have somebody else advocating for me mm-hmm. to get paid so that my family wasn't overextended. Yeah. And I feel like that's more of what I see in the scriptures when it's talking about the worker getting paid yeah, yeah. and stuff is like that the church goes like, no, you're putting a lot of time into our yeah. spiritual care. We got to take care of you. Yep. Yeah, and again, to be balanced, we know that, yeah, as we said, Paul talks about that and makes a case for it. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was was cool because the way I'd always seen it was, you know, pastors going and asking for more money or or getting Mm -hmm. the degree so they could get the the higher pay grade or whatever it was. And again, not to like talk down on any any degrees or any, like, Mm -hmm. but I feel like, it's like degrees should be so that you can learn more so that you can offer Mm. more churches should be so that people can you know have a community in which they can grow Mm. in their faith instead of it being about getting paid Mm. and there are other ways to get paid if that's not there yeah um what what are some of your favorite examples of this that you've seen in the last few years you (laughs) (laughs) you (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think I, a lot of friends that I have that are planters are on the trajectory of, we got to, I got money, I need yeah. to plant this, I need to grow it so it can sustain me, you know, rather than going in with the strategy on the front end to go like, I need, I'm going to be, I want to be sustainable from the very beginning. Yeah. And then whatever happens with the church happens because, you know, if three years into it, your church is 35 and that's awesome. But if that, but if your goal is to plan a church to cover your income, then that's not awesome. Right. And then again, you're, you're, you're left scrambling. And so, but the, but I always find it interesting is because like anytime, like there's a regional collective of planters, you know, associated with the denomination, there's, it's really Unfortunately, there's a there's a great divide. Hmm. So like you have a lot of the, and it's divided by race. Really? So it's assumed that the white guys 
get a lot more funding for planting. And it's assumed really? like most minorities are bivocational. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it's yeah, it's like so how you know yeah. And so that's really to me that's troublesome. Yeah. And it's it's heart wrenching because yeah, so it's almost like even this. I, th- I know it's unintentional, but they're really this huh. this classified. Like you know, again, most planters are yeah divided this way, and a lot of it's just assumed. I remember reading a few months ago in the Atlantic, featuring this um, bivocational Hispanic planter in San Diego or not San Diego, San Antonio, and kind of the whole story was he worked a full time job, and then he was a pastor, yeah. and they talked about like how so many minority pastors or planters have to be bivocational because just the nature of the thing and whereas like why is it that's assumed that's accepted um whether it's hispanic or african-american that oh it's just assumed like they work a full-time job they have their career and then they do ministry kind of really on the side for free not to even to minimize that but they don't really get that doesn't sustain them right but we have it totally different for like whites and to me that's yeah that's really heartbreaking yeah i guess i mean that i i am sort of surprised initially hearing that but then you know sadly i i could see it and then um and then the other thing i would assume is like you got white guys going to white neighborhoods that cost Mm -hmm. more and Mm -hmm. so then there's probably this thing where it's like well, they need more funding just to live at the standard of living at which they're accustomed. Yeah. And then, like, so, but yeah. then you send somebody into, like, an impoverished community and, and the thought process might be like, well, they don't need as much to function mm. there. Mm. Yeah. And that's unfortunate yeah. as well. Yeah, and that's a whole nother, I would say another thread to really even intrepid is what I'm doing or even mentioning it in the book is really this this whole conversation of, of livability. Yeah. And so, like, I've always found that there's a direct correlation between livability and the number of church plants. Yeah. So the more livable, meaning desirable, cool, hip, trendy, the more livable the city, the more livable the neighborhood, the more planters there mm-hmm. are. And the conver- conversely, the opposite is true. <laughs> the more lower income, you know, Districts, school districts with you yeah. know bad schools, you know all right. just what you know maybe is unlivable, unsightly. As a whole, they receive a lot less, if any, planters. So I, it's like Which again, is, why is there that correlation between livability, coolness, and a lot of plants uh-huh. in the opposite, in the other direction? And you know, I mean, it's like there is a there's always a tension like with the planter of like wanting I mean this is about the gospel but it's also like tied into it there's something about like the lifestyle I want to live yeah. right so there's always that tension is there and it's good to acknowledge that yeah and then um, yeah and then probably yeah just the I don't know being being in the cool hit place you're gonna get some attention for that versus like if you I mean, there was a there was a church that I I was involved with, served at in Chicago, South mm-hmm. Chicago. That within within their denomination, I mean, there you know people know about it because a lot of people go there and serve. But generally, it's not a um, a well known thing. It's not booming. Ministry mm-hmm. there is super hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got people in and out, and 
relapsing and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. So it's, but but to me, it's like, man, mm. that is a just a beautiful church. Mm. Um, but you're never going to get noticed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, is um. So you you teach you get a lot of church planters through a classroom. Actually, my teaching has nothing to do with church planning. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> wrong. Well, I mean, I have... I'm just thinking of people I've met who ended up going toward church planning. Yeah, I mean, I've taught a couple times church planning classes and seminaries. But okay. right now, all of my undergrad courses are a lot related to urban studies. Okay. So, okay. like, intro to the city... Another one like bicycles, equity, and race. Yeah. And I'm at a university which I'm I love. Um, so actually, it's the most diverse university in Oregon. Which is so most of our students. Sweet. I think like sixty-two percent of our students are minorities. Okay. Um, so which is great because I mean I brought yeah. this side note. So I brought my class here because on the intro to the city we do a lot of field trips. Yeah. So we talk about like the economics of the city. We go do a third wave coffee tour. We talk about. Um, maybe security in a city we go visit like a homeless shelter homeless yeah. camp and so yeah so I'm it's for me it's even continue I feel like I learn you know so much from them because I'll bring them here again most of my students are minorities mm. most of those Hispanics and we'll go to a cool white trendy and coffee how do, shop how do they react and to, so we, to the cool white yeah, trendy so we, our debriefs are always amazing wow. and again it helps me think through like ministry and church planning along these lines about marketing who are we targeting mm. what about this group what about that group and yeah and I, I would assume like when you're getting into the the ministry slash like vocational mm-hmm. stuff all that needs to be considered too because if you're going to be on a mission to a community, maybe the business you start needs to also have that yeah. same mentality, right? Yeah. Like, how can we... Actually, Sean and I, my buddy in Tucson, we we sort of see this as a whole in what we do because the products that we create are... You can only be purchased by wealthy folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that for us to pay our bills, we have to yeah. charge that much for, like, custom work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we've talked about how, you know, so many of the folks that we want to be engaging with can't afford this stuff. Mm. And how can we mm. change that over time? So we've we've been discussing, you know, that yeah. getting, you know, we, a desire for us is to add that layer to our business to where, like, neighbors to our church could actually yeah. be our customers. Mm. Um, so that's, anyway, I, I assume that. That'd be an interesting you know, piece to like yeah. that consideration. The other thing we've thought about is like, well, since we do fine craft, could we someday like engage in training mm. people to do it, yeah. you know, vocationally? Like, could yeah. we offer that yeah. in the future? So it's like wanting to take the business and not just make it just an income stream, but also like it to integrate it completely with our lives in the community. Like, yeah. This is a way that we build in, which is kind of the Father Kino yeah. sort of thing. It, I'm sure ministry conversations happened out in the fields, mm. but then training people to have a sustainable crop yeah. and herd was also just just being a good neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's always tension, and there's then also, like, as I was trying to say, just recognizing my own blind spots. Like, you know, I'm I'm white. Yeah. I'm well-educated. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Kino was a European, yeah. white European, cross-cultural missionary to, yeah. you know what I mean? So I think not, you know, for me, I'm always trying to say, all right, in saying all this, I also recognize who I am, my own vantage point. Um, so, and just yeah. not like not white guilt, but just saying, I mean, this is who I am. And we, and every semester, yeah. we always talk about this in my class. Like again, one of the ones I lead, you know, it's more, um, it's more than just a class. We actually the the course is structured where we do community together. So we do a lot of sharing our stories, yeah. kind of our past, our background. So usually, you know, leading up to it. Like, I'll do, like, a coffee cupping and spend time talking about, like, the beans and getting into the origin of the farm, you know, the elevation and all that kind of stuff. Really to make the point that, you know, in roasting, you know, so much of the work is in the beans. And so when you get it, all the flavors in there and your job as a roaster is to, to accentuate all that. You know, the same with our own stories is, like, none of us chose our family, our upbringing, yeah. our, our ethnicity, you know, like I didn't choose that I was going to be a, like a 5'10 <laughs> white dude. Like I wish I was like 6'8, sick vertical, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like all the, like, but the point is none of us chose any of that. So it's not like this kind of berating ourselves because right. of our station in life. It's just recognizing who we are and even the advantages that we have and how do we then leverage any advantage we have for the furtherance of the gospel for the betterance of people around us that don't have those same kind of advantages simply because color of skin, the family they were born into, etc. Yeah, there's something to the whole life experience. I remember I I did not want to work in like a wealthy community at mm. one point in my life because um, I didn't get it. I didn't relate to it. And then I, I ended up at the potentially the wealthiest church in Tucson for six years. <laughs> And which was, a, for so many reasons, really good for mm. me. And um, it was just, it was a haven for me in a time of need, but it was also broke down some like, stereotypes that I mm. had erected about wealthy folks. Mm-hmm. But then I've also seen um, like some of those relationships, like in our church context, you know, what a gift it's been that I know businessmen. Yeah. And I know doctors. Um, like, so... It's interesting that I got that experience, mm. and I could be like, "Oh, I, I'm ashamed. I worked at the wealthy church, and that was my, you know, that was my my past that wasn't very, you know, urban of me or mm-hmm. whatever." But then it's like, "Well, what if that was? What if that was a huge gift in like God connecting um, wealthy folks in our city down to our little urban church later on?" Yeah. Anyway, you know, there's so many pieces of our story that mm-hmm. that get to be utilized in mm-hmm. uh, in God's plan. Uh, mm. I'm sure you see that in your life mm. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Well, I'm going to call it to a close because I suppose Sounds you've good. got... You've got a job to do. Yeah. We put in a 35-minute talk, which isn't bad at all. That's what you had said it was going to be. Yeah, right around there. <laughs> so, thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for uh, talking on a mic. I, I kind of threw <laughs> as, that curveball at you. and look at us. And photograph us in one yeah. case. That was different. We'll see if we're on some social media posts. <laughs> all right. Thanks. <laughs>